Chapter Two of Miss Frances Baird, Detective, by Reginald W. Kaufman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. At the Listening Pipes, I had no sooner closed the frail door than I noticed that I was not alone in Number One. Lolling back in a chair beside the best ear hole was another young and decidedly too ambitious member of Mister Watkins' force, Ambrose Kemp. There were two reasons why I did not like this. In the first place, I thought it a breach of professional etiquette on the part of the chief to have had any one eavesdropping upon me when I was being reprimanded for my recent shortcomings, and, in the second place, I would rather have had any other member of the staff associated with me on a case than Mr. Ambrose Kemp. This detective was, as I have said, a young man, and not a bad-looking one, either. Moreover, he was decidedly clever, and could, when he wanted, which was not always, seem really a gentleman." short and supple and strong he had a well-rounded head covered with silky black hair a smooth olive skin a little hawk-like nose bright black eyes and a short curled equally dark moustache all of which gave him a curious latin air directly at variance with his surname he had i understood had something of an education but had early got into some trouble at school and was forced to take a place as clerk in a large department store there by means best known to himself he had soon worked his way into the shop's detective force, which he had only recently quitted for the broader field afforded his activities by the great firm of Watkins. Kemp had done pretty well, I'll admit. It was he who had landed the Portertown bank robbers, and, to mention but one other of his several achievements, it was he who had cleared up the Ryan Schultz murder mystery, when the city detectives had put it aside as insoluble. But I had always believed that, after I had dropped it as an impossibility, there was something crooked in the way he had secured the evidence for Eben Stoner's divorce, and, above all, I couldn't bear the clear signs that the cocksure fellow had recently manifested of an interest in myself that was far from professional. He smiled in his rather familiar way at me, as I now came into number one, and ostentatiously flung aside his cigarette. "'Good morning, Miss Baird,' he said, getting up from his chair. "'Sit here, won't you?' "'No, thank you,' I answered sitting down rather by the listening pipe as we called such a contrivance which was farthest away from him this will do very well and besides i added freezingly you were at that one first he laughed easily showing two rows of glistening even small white teeth oh he explained i couldn't help it i assure you the chief sent me in here first and i had no idea he would be tearing you out while i was where i'd have to listen anyhow that sort of a jumping on's all in the day's work and this one won't get any farther through my hair in it. Going down with the Dean and Diamonds? I tossed my head. You ought to know, I said. Come now, he protested. I tell you, it wasn't my fault. I'm confounded glad I'm to have such good company. I don't know what I might have replied to that, for I was now fairly angry. But before I could frame an answer, the buzzer over the door sounded its usual warning that a client was about to enter the office of Mr. Watkins, and I was saved, for the time, from an open quarrel. We each settled down, without another word, by our respective listening pipes, and in a moment a door in the room on the other side of the wall closed gently. We heard Mr. Watkins rise. "'Mr. Deneen?' he asked. "'That's my name, sir. I suppose you're John Watkins, eh?' The voice was high and old, but shrewd and superior. I heard Kemp snickering at this familiarity toward his employer. "'Yes, Mr. Deneen,' the chief replied. Uh, 
now as i understand your affair you want a couple of my force to keep an eye on your diamonds down at your place at black springs for a day or two that's about the size of it what'll it cost well that depends on their duties mr Deneen. of course you'll understand that if all you want is a couple of men to stand guard men who are there merely as watchmen and don't look like anything else i can give them to you cheap but if you prefer to do what all other wealthy people are doing nowadays and have some detectives who can dress like your guests and talk like them and look like them people who won't give the slightest impression you know of any vulgar caution on your part why naturally that will mean the employment of two of my best and most reliable people and will come a good deal higher oh well that's what i want mr Watkins. just the sort of people you mention the other sort i could get out of my own grounds besides they ain't no use employing detectives without they are detectives i don't mind telling you i set a good deal of store by those diamonds and i want em well taken care of so i want people that won't be known by anybody the minute one person knows there's a couple of detectives in the house that person would just have to tell somebody else and before i knew it everybody would be on to my game i don't propose that even my wife will know about this before it's all over and so as you suggested in your letter i've given out that i'm going to bring down with me for the wedding party my old chief clerk and his sister now just what'll it cost to fill that bill for quite a while they haggled over the terms and we could see that one of the ways in which james j Deneen had made his money was by holding on to what he had got but at last they came to some sort of an agreement and the chief went through the usual farce and rang for fudge my boy he said in that pleasant tone he always adopted before clients see if miss bard and mr kemp are about the office boy of course came straight into number one miss bard and mr kemp about yet he asked precisely as if he had not seen us before that morning and for answer we stepped again into the private office of the chief mr Deneen was a long lean hard-visaged man who bore his years with a strength that held him erect and gave him something of the appearance of an old sea captain retired but hale and hearty still his head was large and round and scantily covered with pure white hair his face was clean-shaven and from under his chin from his throat in fact a projecting growth of bristling white beard shot out between the widely separated ends of his collar but for all his mere bodily health it was plain to see that the man's nerve was gone and that he had not quitted active business a year too soon his face was deeply lined with care his long thin close-shutting lips worked spasmodically every minute or two and above his red knob of a nose the only bit of colour in his face the pale protruding eyes roved in the unmistakable manner of a man who has known great fears it might have been surroundings with which he was unfamiliar but at any rate he struck me as resembling a deacon who has suddenly been detected in some act of hypocrisy kemp and i were introduced with great formality and the situation was detailed to us precisely as if we were not already acquainted with it far more thoroughly than the chief's words as now spoken explained it during this speech mr Deneen had looked us over with great care and at its end seemed as i saw from the corner of my eye fairly well satisfied i don't know he commented as you do look much like brother and sister still you'll do i suppose and mr Watkins will call it a bargain very well the chief replied and now when do you want to start mr kemp's suitcase is always kept ready for just such emergencies as this one and i can have it sent at once to the station from here but i imagine miss baird will have a little packing to do ha <laughs> ha you know what the ladies are mr Deneen. the old promoter bit his lip 
"'Yes, I know,' he said. "'Well, I'm going down to the bank now to get the—the the things out of my vault. I might as well have Mr. Kemp along there.' "'So, er, uh, Miss Baird, is it?' "'Yes, Miss Baird can go and pack, and meet us at the Grand Central in an hour. How will that suit?' He looked at me with a trace of hesitating politeness in his tone, so I said it would suit admirably, and went immediately to embark upon one of the strangest adventures of my professional career. End of chapter 2